How the proud and the haughty often have a great fall. No leader is beyond being toppled or having to stand down from their lofty position. And wasn't that witnessed in the past days of this week with the unexpected resignation of the First Minister of Scotland? In the past, she has been brazen. In the past, she was going to sever the union at whatever cost. She was going to foist her ultra-liberal views on everybody else. And everyone else, it seemed, would have to dance to her merry independent tune. Yet she fell upon her own sword. She overstepped the mark with the immoral proposals that were pushed through the Scottish Assembly, legislating for transgender change, even among those just in their mid-teens. I was interested to hear one commentator speak of her in less than flattering terms, to say the least. And he stated that her demise was a victory at last for common sense. And while he is not a Christian by any stretch of the imagination, yet he was urging the ordinary person to appreciate the power of their voice for common sense. If ever there was one who seemed to laud it over everybody else, one who had an unsurmountable majority, one who was proud of it, And her security was rock solid. It was her. It was her. But you see, men and women, the God of heaven who permitted her to hold such a position was to say, enough and no more. And the one who allowed her to be set up was to take her down again just as quickly. That's the truth that we find in 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel 2 verse 6 and 7 says this, The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. And thank God we can go on and save the child of God. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes. And to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And he has set the world upon them. Child of God, you are set among princes tonight. The Lord has lifted us up from the Mary clay and set our feet on the rock Christ Jesus. But you know the truth that I read just there in 1 Samuel 2 is also found in our psalm. I'm sure you've noticed it as we read it. In the words of verse 6, For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. But this evening, I want us to consider that in the same vein. As the proud politician thinks that they are secure, the wicked also think the same. They think that they're getting away with their evil deeds. What a day is coming when they will experience the very opposite. 
For the Lord is seen in this psalm, not in the sense of reconciling the world unto himself as we could go to other places and find, but rather he's seen as the judge of all the earth. The day of his grace is ended. He's risen up as the judge, and he speaks of it so as to warn the unprepared to flee from the day of God's wrath. My text you'll find in verse 8. For in the hand of the Lord there's a cup and the wine is red. It is full of mixture and he poureth out of the same. But the dregs thereof all the wicked of the earth shall wring them out and drink them. What a verse. What a verse about God's wrath. Don't you notice the description there? A truth that is found throughout the word of God is that sin will be punished by a holy God. His holiness, His justice demands that it must be so. And it was so from the beginning of time. When Adam and Eve rebelled against the Lord and when they sinned by taking of that forbidden fruit. And in Ezekiel we read the same truth because there we can find the verse, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And the psalmist, we can read the Psalms in Psalm 7 that God is angry with the wicked every day. And so men and women, you see, from every part of the Old Testament Bible, the Hebrew will divide the Bible in the Old Testament into three parts. There's the book of Moses, there's the law, but there's also the prophets, and then there's the writings. And I've given you a quotation from each one of those compartments. Each one of those segments, the first books of the law of Moses, the prophets Ezekiel, and the writings, the Psalms, and every one of them concurs. That sin will be punished by a holy God. There is such a thing as the wrath of God against sin. And you know it's found in the New Testament as well. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Ungodliness. That simply means men and women living every day without the thought of God. As if there's no God. Unrighteousness. The sinful actions of men and women. Of thought. Of word. Of deed. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all of this. The wrath of God. And that wrath is spoken of in the chapter 2. And there you'll find it again in verse 5. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And you see, that wrath is described for us in the words of our text tonight by the means of a cup. And when you consider a cup, it is a vessel that is able to contain a measured out portion. And while the drinks industry of this world measures its poison by units, that's how alcohol is measured. Yet God measures his wrath by a cup. And when the cup is spoken of in the scriptures, it often is used to express a full amount. That's implied even concerning the Amorites who inhabited the land of Canaan before Israel got there. And God was to say of them in Genesis chapter 15 that their iniquity is not yet full. What did he mean? He meant simply that the cup wasn't full. The cup wasn't up to the brim. Their cup of iniquity. 
But when that day came when their brim, it would be up to the brim, when the cup would be full, then it would be cast out of the land and the nation of God's people would have their inheritance. That land that was promised to them. The land of milk and honey. But in Genesis 15, their cup is not yet full. The cup of iniquity. On the other side, we have the cup of blessing that the believer enjoys. The psalmist could say, my cup runneth over. Every child of God can have that testimony. It's full. And so it is when the cup of God's wrath will be brought out. His judgment will be a measured portion. It will be a proportionate to sin. For be sure that the judgment of God is according to truth. There will not be any miscarriages of justice in that great day. The cup of God's wrath will be full of his indignation against sin. But look and notice further that we're given the added detail because the color of the wine is given here. It's red in its color. And red wine in other places denotes its fiery nature. It usually indicates that which is strongest. I have to confess I know little, very little about wine. But they seem to tell me that they... The red stuff is stronger than the white stuff. Well, it's certainly the case in the Scriptures. It's known for its fieriness. It's known for its strength. Does that not compare well to Revelation 16 and verse 19? It says, And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. It gives the impression of the concentrated, concentrated wrath and anger of God. This is no weak portion. This is not something wherein there's no strength. It is the undiluted anger of a holy God. And that is seen in its very color. And if the very color of divine wrath is terrible, then what must it be to, to taste it? What will it be for the like the one who will have to drink it. But care to further note that as you look at this cup, you'll see the contents of it. It says, the wine is red. It is full of mixture. In view is that natural quality of the wine that has now been strengthened. There has been the adding of ingredients. The force of it is intensified. As those ingredients have been cast into it. And again, I might say we see the same truth expressed slightly differently in Revelation. You see, men and women, there's no contradictions in the Scriptures. No matter what some liberal will try and tell you. Revelation 14 in the words of verse 10 says this, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. John, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, is causing the reader to consider the wrath of God poured out without mixture. In other words, it has not been weakened. It hasn't been watered down. 
Paul the Apostle, I think it's in Corinthians, speaks of those in the marketplace. And they were prone to water down uh, what they were selling so as to make more money. He says, I'm not a preacher like that. I'm paraphrasing it. We do not water down the gospel, he says. And God's wrath will not be watered down. It will be in its full strength. And as we look at the words of our text, it begs us to ask what these ingredients may be that are added to it. And we might suggest that every attribute of God casts something into the cup. For every attribute of God is equally against sin. His righteousness is there. So that none would dare hint that their torment is too great. Mercy and truth are there. Testifying to the sinner that they were dealt with in patience and with long suffering. And the mercy of God was in evidence as God's salvation was placed within their reach. I'm reminded of Proverbs chapter 1 and the words of verse 24. Because I have called and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have said it not at my counsel. And would none of my reproof. Those are solemn words. God would say to one who has heard. Heard the message. And shown the need of God's salvation. And yet would have none of it. It's been brought to within your reach. That's the mercy of God in the cup. Eternity is in the cup. Reminding each one that God's wrath endures as long as God lives. And truth is there declaring that what is taking place is what God has spoken of in his word. And it cannot be altered. Aye, and sinner, what about conscience? As an additive Ingredient, awaken and declaring that what wrath and woe is received is deserved. What about memory? Is that not in the cup and the mixture? Every time that you've been given an opportunity to hear the word of the gospel. Every time that you've heard of your state before God. Heard of the only means and way of God's salvation. And yet you've spurned it. Those times when you were pleaded with to repent and to turn to Christ and you despised Him, they're all there. You consider the rich man that we read about in Luke chapter 16. You know, he's some things that are worth noting. I'm not talking about his riches on earth, I'm talking about when he's rising and sinking in the flames of hell. And one of those things is his memory. Verse 25 says, But Abram said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Remember. The lost soul has a memory. 
Every sin will contribute to this mixture in the cup of God's wrath. The sins of word, when you took the Lord's name in vain. The sins when you're satisfying the lusts of the flesh. The sins that will shame you if they were written up in the word on the wall before others. Every dishonest transaction you made, every sin in its blackest hue will be added to the ingredients in this cup. And we haven't even got to the bottom of the cup yet. There you'll find the dregs. That which is the most bitterest of all. I wonder, dear loved one, are you getting the picture? I trust you are, for I have to confess right now that my words fail miserably to fully describe the cup of God's wrath against sin on this great day that is coming from the judge of all the earth. I can only pray that God by his Spirit would cause you to see the awfulness of it and the terrors of it and that you, while you still have time, would do something about it. There's not only the description. But you know there's the drinking. While we're glad that God is a loving God, we we, we have it in many verses. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Yet there's also the wrath and the judgment of God that many a preacher forgets about these days. And yes, we could say many a preacher gets to Calvary and they speak about the love of God, but they they forget all about the the wrath of God at Calvary. The judgment of God there. But you know the judgment, the wrath of God can be seen even in the words of our text. Or understand this cup is not just an exhibition piece. The Lord doesn't merely bring out this cup to put it on show. But it is in full-blooded mixture of his wrath that will be drunk. You consider the certainty of it. And we read it, for in the hand of the Lord there's a cup and the wine is red, is full of mixture, and he poureth out of the same, but the dregs are off all the wicked of the earth shall wring them out and drink them. The day when the sinner rebuffed the word of the Lord is over. The day when they defy the God of heaven is gone. For now has come that day when they shall be commanded to drink of that wine that is poured out. There will be no protests as they stand before him. For he is the judge of all the earth. And shall not the judge of all the earth do right? There will be no appeal. For he is a God who ruleth in the affairs of men. And none can say unto him, What doest thou? God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make misjudgments. The day when they said no to Christ will have passed for the great day of his wrath has come. And the certainty is that these shall be made to drink of that portion that has been prepared for them. If you turn over to Jeremiah, you will see that certainty spoken about as well. Chapter 25. Prophecy of Jeremiah chapter 25. Just look at a couple of verses here. Verse 15, for example. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel unto me, Take the wine cup of this fury at my hand, and cause all the nations to whom I send it to drink it. Look at verse 28. And it shall be if they refuse to take the cup at thine hand to drink, then thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ye shall certainly drink. It's certain. 
It's not a command of a mere man or prophet. It's given from the hand of the Lord. Your soul, there will be no escape on that day. And that is why God in his great mercy forewarns you against it and about it. For it is a day where sin will be punished as God's wrath is poured out. And in using the words of 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We persuade you in the gospel. To flee from the wrath that is to come. Just as faithful Noah did in the building of the ark in the old world. And the judgment of God was coming in the great flood. He warned. He preached. He's a preacher of righteousness. I wonder will you take heed to the warnings that are offered to your soul. You might consider the company who will be made to drink this cup. Our text says it. All the wicked of the earth shall wring them out and drink them. Unless that there will be those who will be quick to object and say, Preacher, I'm not a wicked person. Please remember this. That when you come across the word wicked in the Old Testament, it's exactly the same as ungodly. And if you're not with Christ tonight, you're ungodly. It's exactly the same word. If you're not saved, you're included in this company that shall have the wine of God's wrath poured out for them to drink. It will be the ungodly. It will be the Christ rejecter who will drink the very dregs of God's condemnation. Psalm 11, in the words of verse 6, would be appropriate to read as well. It says, Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. That wrath of God against sin will culminate and be punished with those everlasting torments in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone. Let me ask you, is that the sort of company that you'd want to be in? Would you want to be among those who will be made to drink of this cup of God's wrath? For that is where you're facing, dear loved one, without Christ and without God's salvation. And just so as to make it abundantly clear, the drinking of this cup will be never ending. There's a continuance with it. They shall wring them out. There's not a drop of the wrath made to be left behind. They must drink on and on forever, even to the bottom where lies the bitterest dregs of God's wrath and anger. Or understand that the punishment for your sin must be exacted. And it will require all eternity to exact it. I bear witness to that from Revelation again, Revelation chapter 14 and verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. There's no hope in those words. The smoke of their torment. Well, I've read verse 10 already just prior, a little earlier in the message. Tormented with a fire and brimstone. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. There's no hope there. It's continuance. 
we're brought to vividly consider there's no escape. No escape for the sinner from this punishment and this wrath of God. How heartbreaking to think there will be no escape for loved ones and for those who sat beside us, maybe even in the very house of God, who rejected God's offer of mercy. It's a dreadful thing to read these words. They are most solemn for they deal with the reality of what it is for a soul to be lost. You see, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And we tell you in love so that you might be compelled to flee. Just consider... In closing, the deliverer here. You see, we don't leave you, we don't send you out of the house of God tonight contemplating merely the terrors of God's wrath. But rather, we want to show you who is the only Savior, the only deliverer. That one is our substitute. For the Lord Jesus Christ in perfect obedience was to go to Calvary. That there he might stand into the sinner's place. It was on the cross that he bore the punishment for sin that was our due that we sang just a little earlier on. It was there that he made atonement for sin by the shedding of his own precious blood. It was on the cross that he was to make and take the wrath of God that we deserved. He who knew no sin. Yet became sin for us. What a Savior. That he should die in the sinner's place. And Peter puts it, the just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God. The just for in the place of, if you like. Instead of the unjust. The one who shall be the judge of all the earth one day was to die in the place of hell deserving guilty souls. At Calvary he was to drink the cup of God's wrath so that we might never have to. I've said to you, sin, its punishment has to be exacted. If it will be not exacted on you, then it has to be exacted on another and that other is the substitute. Wasn't it something that he spoke about as in Matthew chapter 20 when he asked his disciples, those you remember that were desiring to sit on his left hand and his right hand in glory, are ye able to drink the cup that I shall drink of? Even in the garden when Peter threatened with a sword, the Lord was to say to him, put up thy sword into the sheath, the cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? His work was to drink the cup of God's wrath. The exact same analogy as we've been looking at tonight from the psalm. And he was to drink it on behalf of all who will call upon him in salvation. And understand that the Savior was to satisfy his Father. He, for he finished that work. And that meant drinking the last dregs of that cup. It meant pain or hell. It meant bearing our judgment. 
Was it during those three hours of darkness that he wrung out the dregs? For it was then that the cry ascended from him, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was to drain the last drop. What he left was a cup that was emptied. Tasting every last drop of that fierce anger and wrath against sin. The cup of wine full of mixture. He made satisfaction for sins through the offering up of himself as that once for all sacrifice. And he did so that you sinner might never have to taste one drop of that cup and so that you might be delivered and you might be saved. That's the message of the gospel. And so, my dear friend, on account of what the Savior has accomplished, and of course for the child of God tonight, you can rejoice in it as I can. Here is what the Lord has borne for us. And because he accomplished the work, for having finished it on the cross and being buried according to the Scriptures, he rose again the third day and he lives forevermore. And this empty cup is freely presented to you in salvation. There's deliverance for you now, for the sinner now, through the Gospel, the good news of Christ and Him crucified. And rather than be forced to one day drink of that cup full of the mixture of God's wrath, I would that you would take another cup, even another cup that the psalmist himself speaks about. For if you read Psalm 116 in the words of verse 13, you'll read this. I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I wonder in response to the gospel being preached, flee, would you flee from the wrath of God that is to come? Will you come and take taste and see that the Lord is good? Will you drink of that life-giving water of God's salvation from which you will never thirst again? And then you'll be numbered among a different company. You'll be numbered amongst the redeemed of the Lord. One day you'll be exalted with Christ and high and that for all eternity. If you will but come in repentance of your sin and seek Christ as your Savior, be saved. You'll have the assurance ere you leave this house tonight you'll never perish. You'll never have to take that cup of red wine of the mixture of God's wrath. And when this great day of the wrath of the Lamb has come, you'll not be found among the Christ rejecter, the unbelieving, the ungodly, the wicked, whatever you want way to describe them. You'll not be found among those who'll be made to drink of this awful cup of God's wrath. But there'll be one there who will plead your cause as your great advocate with the Father. I'm really finished. But before I get you to close the Bible, I want you to show you just one we thought in closing. I read right at the start the title. If you look at the title of the psalm, 
your salvation is what is desired, or, or at least I can say this, it's implied by the word in the title. It says to the chief musician, Altaskith. Do you see that word Altaskith? It means destroy not. Destroy not. Sin destroys men and women. The drink and the pleasures of this world destroys. But Christ is the only hope for your soul. He is the one who doesn't destroy. He saves. And freely offers to you in the gospel eternal life. And deliverance forever from the wrath of God against sin. And being saved and redeemed with precious blood that he shed on Calvary's cross. On that great day, your advocate will stand forth and say, I'll task Keith, destroy not. He's my child. She's my child. What a saviour. He had paid, he has paid the full punishment that was our due. And he shall enter. Show us the entrance into the kingdom of the Father prepared from before the foundation of the world. You'll not be one who'll be shown the way to the lake of fire. I wonder, will you take him tonight as your Savior? May God help you for his glory's sake. Heed the warning. And to turn while the Saviour in mercy is calling. 394 just let's change our position. And, and as we close our meeting. O Christ in thee my soul hath found. Found in thee alone the peace, the joy I sought so long. The blessed till now unknown. Page 336 let's stand as we sing it please. 394.
we thank thee for thy word. Our prayer would be that thou would, Lord, speak to those yet unsaved, who are yet tasting of the broken cisterns of this world and are failing them. We pray that they might come. They might, Lord, have their graceless eyes open to behold the altogether lovely one. They might taste and see that the Lord is good. They might flee from the wrath of God that is to come poured out without mixture. O God, speak on when the preacher's voice is silent. Lord, encourage the heart of thy children to know, Lord, afresh what you have done for us. Lord, you have saved us. You have delivered us, Lord, from this judgment. We thank the Lord that Christ paid it all on the cross itself. Father, hear our cry. Accept of our thanks for thy presence with us today. Part us now with thy fear and thy mercy. For we ask these things in our Savior's precious and all-worthy name. Amen.